Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. I'm your host, Reed Coverdale. I've been under the weather this whole week. I'm finally feeling a little bit better this evening, but uh, since Sunday afternoon, I've been uh, nauseous, congested, and having to run to the toilet every half hour or so. So I've been mostly just lying in my room trying to get better. So that's why I haven't done many streams. That's why there hasn't been any sub stacks or anything. I've just been kind of lying in bed. Uh, and I did a show last night on No Way Jose. Uh, and I had to leave halfway through the show and then come back. So it's been a little rough, but I'm finally feeling better today. Been out and about a little bit. Um, and I'm back. I had to cancel my earlier shows that I was going to do this week. But couldn't cancel this one because this one, we've been struggling to do it forever. Uh, you guys all know Dak Rouleau. He's been on the show. I don't even know how many times at this point, but we've done each other's show. We used to, we were trying to do it once a month back and forth, but I moved and things went crazy. And, but here we are. How are you doing, Dak? Good. I'm glad you decided to consider me the cure for nausea. <laughs> yeah, there's no better, uh, no better antidote. Um, so as we know, we have just passed the 21st anniversary of the worst terrorist attack on America until January 6th. Of course, I'm talking about uh, September 11th. Um, so any any thoughts, Dak, 21 years later, September 11th? Yeah, I remember on September 12th, 2001, everybody on my street had to go outside. They had to go to their front yards at a certain time of night. I think it was... 36 hours after the first plane hit the tower and we had to go stare at the American flag that we suspended from our uh, house. And I, I distinctly remember my mother saying something and then saying to me and my siblings, never forget that. And I don't remember what it is. She told me to remember. I just remember her saying, never forget that. Um, since then, 9-11 has kind of, it, it, I, I feel like there, there was an effort to try to make it the definitive icon of American patriotism, but now they are attempting to displace it with memorabilia related to January 6th. And so I guess this is the quintessential act of moral effrontery for the third decade of the 21st century updates, upgrades, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a meme that I see passed around a lot the day after nine 11 is I don't miss, I don't miss nine 11. I, but I do miss nine 12 because on nine 12, we were all Americans. We all loved each other, regardless of race, political affiliation, gender, you know, whatever. Um, That's good. I don't, know. I don't miss nine 12, nine 12. Was when we did really stupid shit like that whenever we feel united as a country and you know we have this sense of oneness that's when we do the most tyrannical bombastic self-destructive idiotic things you know uh, december 8th 1941 same thing um any reactions to that like do you think that it's actually good that we're divided in some ways because we can't we can't um we can't really, we can't really successfully execute the same types of worldwide catastrophes that we have in the past. We still try, but it's just not nearly as successful at this point because no one really seems to be invested in it anymore. And everyone's like, why are we doing this? Whether it's Ukraine or talking about going to, 
war with China over Taiwan. Everyone's just like, eh, I don't know. Like, this just doesn't seem like a good idea. But 912 didn't matter. It was a good idea if we were going to go beat up the bad guys. Any thoughts? Yeah, um, it, I guess it's fitting that I started with my favorite memory of 912. Um, I also remember just the loudest sound I ever heard in my entire life was going into my fourth grade classroom the next day and every kid in the classroom talking as loudly as they possibly could about my mom said it's going to be the end of the world and my dad said it's going to be World War Three and blah, 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 blah. Um, I, I remember that. Um, as, as far as this idea of unity, I really find unity to be very distasteful. I think that unity is usually a unity of mediocrity. Um, and so when you talk about people moving together in the herd instinct, that, that's what unity ultimately is. It's the herd instinct. It's the subjugation of the self to the movement of the masses. And so I, I don't find unity to be an ideal to strive towards anyway. So when we are united or whether we are divided, I, I still think there's an equivalent potential for stupidity. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, so, I mean, it was amazing. People were, uh, on 9-11, they were evoking January 6th still. Like, I mean, I I didn't know how long that charade was going to last, but like you said, they're trying to replace 9-11 with January 6th. And mm -hmm. I think this is what we were going to talk about um, the last time we tried to... Um, the last time we uh, last time we tried to do an episode, which was like three weeks ago, because it was big in the news again. And it was just like, Jesus Christ, are they ever going to let this go? Because I understand like on, you know, on the holiday on January 6, 2022, it was like, all right, whatever. Like they're going to have to rehash this and they're going to do it again on January 6, right. have your pageantry. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> when you fucking do it all year long, I mm -hmm. mean, it seems like you're just, you're going to run out of any, um, you know, any pity that people were going to leave you with. It seems like they're exhausting the uh, political capital of that date. Do you think so? Or do you think they're going to they're going to just keep stretching it out anyways? Well, I believe in the Congress, they've introduced a bill now, a bipartisan bill in a show of unity um, to prevent future coups. That was the language that was used on NBC News. It's a bipartisan bill to prevent future coups. And so as far as trying to exploit the imagery and the iconography of it, um, frankly, I would assume the, the big problem is that the body count just wasn't high enough. Um, it, it, it's with 9-11, you're talking about almost 3000 dead, which although historically, that's not an especially large number of casualties in some sort of act of atrocity. Um, it's really it, 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 they were obviously able to exploit the bloodshed in order to try to pull on the heartstrings with January 6th. It, it seemed like the attack was more on the prestige of American political institutions. And so it's difficult to get people to empathize with inanimate objects or co abstract concepts. It's one thing when Notre Dame is on fire, but it's quite another to try to make the burn of Notre Dame into some kind of existential tragedy for the human species. It just doesn't rise to that level. Um, now, as for this committee investigation into January 6th, is that still going on? Because I just would periodically, when I would go to a you know restaurant or wherever, I would see they'd have the news on for CNN talking about how the committee is now turning towards Donald Trump's text messages to his limo driver. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is still going on. It's just it's a soap opera without a conclusion.
Yeah. Um, I don't know when it's going to end. Um, speaking of, you know, this, <laughs> like exploiting this t- for everything it's worth, what's your take on the FBI raids of, you know, a few dozen Trump acolytes or Trump supporters, including Trump himself? Um, apparently they just went after the, my pillow guy a couple days ago. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say that there's no pre there's no like possible legal reason that the FBI could have found to go after some of these people. They probably found somewhere where some of them slipped up with paperwork or something, but it's very obviously politically motivated because you could do the same thing to countless Democrat figures as well just as easily they probably messed up some uh, minutia of you know um of protocol that they were supposed to follow uh but what is your take on this is this just a political hit mob going out and uh lynching anyone who's in opposition to them what do you think this all is well when the news first broke i was almost nostalgic because it reminded me of 2017 or 2018 you remember how every other day there would be news breaking of some scandal involving trump where someone he talked to may have suggested he was going to talk to the russians and for about five minutes you would get the sense that maybe there was something legitimate or substantive there Mm-hmm. And that this was Trump was actually going to be removed from office. Not that you particularly cared about who the president was, but just because the imagery and the spectacle of seeing the president mm-hmm. taking out handcuffs is obviously kind of tantalizing. Mm-hmm. That's that's what this scandal reminded me of. It's like, oh, for the first time in over a year where there's the brief momentary possibility that Trump is going to go to prison. And then you realize, oh, wait a minute, this is a gigantic I hate to use the word nothing burger, but that's what people like to say. Um, Unity in language, not a good sign of culture. Um, But the, the, the thing is that with the fact that there is obviously nothing to it, if there was something of interest in the documents that were retrieved, presumably the FBI would have acted upon that by now. Um, It's obvious that there is nothing of note within the documents that were retrieved. And so the question is, why would the FBI bother to do this? I'm inclined to believe that it is probably political vengeance in a sense, just like we saw with the crossfire hurricane scandal. It was obviously the Obamas and the Democrats and their affiliates upset about the results of the election. And so deciding to try to cause a little bit of uh, a headache for their successors. Um, I don't think that that is really all that shocking. I assume it was happening in some form with every presidential transition previously, at least when the parties were changing. So I don't really use this alarmist rhetoric that's being voiced by a lot of the right-wing figures talking about how our our democracy is in peril. They sound like Democrats when they say that. (laughs) I I, I just see it as ordinary political partisanship, pettiness, and corruption. Um, What the outcome of it is, it, it just seems to me to be kind of tabloid gossip, I think. Yeah, but it's been escalated for sure. I mean, this is the first time the FBI has ever gone after a former president. Sure. Um, so it's it's definitely like at a different level than it has been in the past, wouldn't you say? 
I, I definitely would. But I think that, again, that's sort of a, that's part of the natural process. The further we go along in time, the more everything will escalate. That That's part of the issue now is you think about where social media was 10 years ago, where Twitter was just not taken very seriously, at least in a political context. Now, social media is all anybody ever talks about. Social media is one of the most important features of our culture. So things will escalate. Um, so the fact that the FBI is getting more vicious, more vindictive, and also frankly, more reckless. I, 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 I think it's, I don't think it's anything special about who is in office. I think it's about the time we're at when these abuses occur. That's probably more relevant. So do you think there's any sort of off ramp to avoid violence at this point? Or do you think that because of the site, the cyclical um, buildup of aggression that you're talking about, that it's just inevitable that things are just going to get bloody eventually? Or what do you think? Well, um, in the lead up to World War One, there was a lot of question about whether Hungary and Austria had an honest desire to set their differences aside or whether they wanted to engage each other in violent conflict simply because they felt that that would be the most convenient solution to their problems. I think that there are some parallels in what we're seeing here. Um the problem is that I, I I really question whether the American people actually have the initiative and the volition to get off their couches and actually tussle with each other. I just yeah. don't know that they're that physically inclined. They seem to be too deeply rooted into their culture of couch potatoism in order to be able to like uproot themselves from the sofa and actually do something. I, I just don't see that happening. But I, you've you've talked a bit about accelerationism. You seem to think we're going on a different course well i don't know i mean because i have that same reservation you do that everybody is too lazy for there to be like widespread bloodshed i mean i mm -hmm. think we'll have more january 6th and more summer of 2020 type things where you know there'll be riots and i think i see things kind of escalating in that way i do not envision a civil war or something like that so many people talk about that like we're close to another civil war it's like how would this civil war be fought? Like what, what are the sides, you know, like what, right. where are the lines going to be drawn? What are the different causes for? I mean, it's just so mm -hmm. confusing. Like I don't even understand what it means to be a right winger or a left winger or a northerner or a southerner or a blue collar or, I mean, I like name whatever group that you'd like to see the United States divided by and start fighting against each other. I don't even understand what the ideological differences are anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to just be more, more rioting and more like, you know, more, more violence in uh, political committees and things like that. So not necessarily war or anything like that, but escalation of violence, I'd say. Yeah, the, the political situation is too asymmetrical for there to be a clearly defined sectarian conflict. Um, also, there's a question of who would organize it. Um, I, I believe I read recently that certain legislators in New Hampshire had, had taken an effort to try to secede from the union. Is that correct? Yes. Right. And obviously the effort went nowhere. It's a very right. appealing fantasy. When I heard about that, I got hearts, my heart started to stir and I had these beautiful images of taking my family back to New England and enjoying the pastoral countryside while the federal government burns to ashes in the background. 
Um, but that's just a fantasy. That's just a pastoral portrait. It's a very nice thing to contemplate, but eventually you have to get back to reality. And um, so as far as there being a formal sectarian conflict, again, I think it's just, it's, it's an appealing notion, but as far as it actually coming to fruition, so far I haven't seen the evidence. I mean, I used to like how you it. say it's an appealing notion. <laughs> it, it is, it is, it is because it would be cathartic. Um, it, it, I, I'm not saying that in a nihilistic sense. I'm saying it in the sense that I feel like people, I, the, the, whatever the left is and whatever the right is, they obviously have irreconcilable differences. That's why people talk about divorce. There's a very sexualized mm -hmm. pornographic rhetoric to our uh, tone to our rhetoric. Um, but, but I, I think that people envision trying to purge the country through the fire, through burning their enemies in the fire. I think that they want a sparagmos. They want to be able to burn their enemies and just bask in the glory of their immolation. But I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I I do agree with you about secession, that that's never going to happen. And I was actually on a panel with a couple other guys down in Florida giving a speech about this, or not a speech, but we are just, you know, we were doing a panel. And the other two guys definitely believed more in secession. And I was like, look, I'm all about pushing the Overton window in that direction and talking about it, normalizing the idea, but it's never going to happen. The only thing close to secession that you can get in this day and age is nullification. So in other words, Vermont does not enforce federal marijuana legislation anymore. So it's still technically illegal to smoke weed, but the state of Vermont isn't going to stop you from doing it. Uh, you know, in San Francisco, it is still illegal for immigrants to come across the Mexican border. But in San Francisco, you are protected by the local government from being deported. Right. I want to see as many of those types of laws happen mm -hmm. in New Hampshire as possible. So latest one uh, that I know of, at least, was we um, we nullified federal gun laws to a large extent, uh, local oh. law enforcement are not required to assist federal law enforcement in carrying out gun control laws. So regardless of what Washington DC passes, New Hampshire can just be like, yeah, well, okay, whatever. Um, I want to see it taken to the next step where New Hampshire law enforcement is required to arrest and deport federal law enforcement that's trying to enact that legislation. That's the only type of police brutality I'd actually approve of. But uh, what do you think about that? I'm going to say that sounds a bit closer to to a beautiful pastoral portrait than it does to reality. The idea, the image of local police arresting federal officials and removing them from the state. It's a beautiful image. I don't know that I would ever actually see it happen, unfortunately. Um, but 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 this concept of nullification and basically just disregarding federal law. That's obviously very interesting. Presumably, we're seeing a lot of that happening right now in the aftermath of the Roe v. Wade repeal. Um, we're seeing a lot of attorneys general explaining that they are not going to be enforcing uh, state laws uh, 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 that try to prohibit uh, abortion, which would actually mean it's a reversal of they're actually just adhering to federal law and disregarding state law. But this kind of legal incoherence is probably a good thing in the long run, because with the law being exposed as being more and more ridiculous, it's going to be more and more impractical for authorities to try to claim power. Yeah, so I mean, we haven't talked in a while. Uh, we, I don't, I don't think we've talked since the overturning, or or even the leak of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. No, we haven't. Um, 
I had a lot of fun that night because <laughs> uh, mm. I still had a Twitter account at the time and I am not a hardliner on abortion. I'm just not like, I think it's a nuanced issue. Um, I, I mean, I detest the people who, you know, talk about like, Oh, they're getting their sixth abortion. And, you know, abortion is a beautiful thing. It's the sign of becoming a woman. Like those types of people gross me out. And then also the people, you know, the ultra religious types who want to outlaw the morning after pill, like both of those mm -hmm. extremes, I just right. find disgusting and ridiculous. I think there's a more reasonable approach, but seeing mm -hmm. Roe v. Wade overturned and seeing the absolute meltdown mm -hmm. on the liberal feminist left, oh, I felt so good. And <laughs> the, uh, my reasoning behind it is I never win, right? Like, I, I mean, it's very rare as a libertarian that anything in this country happens where I'm like, yay, go, you know, good job. So the only time that I can get any bit of glee is when something happens that other people don't like. So when yes. Trump was elected president or when Biden was elected president or when Roe v. Wade is overturned, those are all instances where I get to bask in everybody else's suffering for just a moment and they can feel how I feel all the time, but <laughs> thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. My wife, Christy and I, we were hoping to do a video about um, abortion at some point because she has a lot of very insightful things to say about it. Um, abortion for me. Yeah. I, I think that people can have their moral objections to it. But in the 21st century, I think that a lot of cosmopolitan people are going to want the convenience that abortion is, um, particularly the, the form you talked about, like the morning after pill. Those are just conveniences in society. And so even if it is unvirtuous for us to accept those conveniences, naturally, you're going to have some people who want those things. And so they're going to pursue them. Um, also, from a libertarian perspective, you have to consider the fact that many of the arguments that are used in favor of decriminalizing drugs could also be used to justify a more permissive attitude towards abortion. The idea that there are going to be some rather soft-headed women who are going to try to perform an abortion themselves at home if they don't have the ability to go to a specialist, that can result in some medical catastrophes. And so you want to avoid that by trying to remove the criminal element to it. I, I mean, but, but, but at the same time, I think that this really illustrates how the federal government is incapable of acting as our national moral authority. The federal government obviously does not have the ability to represent everyone's moral codes equally. Um, you know, you, you think like, take, take, take vegetarianism, for example. There are people who argue convincingly that killing animals for meat consumption is immoral. And that's a perfect, I, I understand that. I think that they probably have logic on their side. But it is impractical at this point to expect the federal government to enforce their moral code and prohibit meat consumption throughout the country. So looking to the federal government to be your definitive moral code or your source of moral guidance, you're just asking for trouble. I mean, I mean, the, the, the federal government is incapable of acting as that kind of institution. You are muted, I believe. There we go. Now you can hear me. Yes. Um, yeah, I I agree with that. And I want to talk about student loans a little bit because um, this is something that we have talked about in the past about like what the actual solution to this would be. Um, mm. The outrage over student loans 
um, being forgiven up to $10,000 of student loans. The, the sum of money that's going to be spent to forgive these student loans is much smaller than the amount of money that was spent to bail out big businesses and send to foreign countries and such in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like because that was such an abstract, you know, um, concept for so many people, it didn't hit as close to home as this does because right. you don't know the CEO or the board of Boeing and you don't know, you know, mm -hmm. anyone in the government of Sudan or Saudi Arabia or whatever. Right. So it's, it's just like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that sucks, but I don't really know these people. But when you know somebody who hasn't been as responsible as you have, hasn't pulled himself up by his own bootstraps, so to speak, or like paid his way or whatever, and you have, or you didn't take loans out yourself and you see this person get bailed out, it just kind of hits closer to home. Like what? Well, this is unfair. Um, do you think that's why this had a more visceral reaction than all the bailouts of 2020 did? Or do you even, would you even agree that it has had a more visceral reaction? Um, I, I don't think it's inspired as much outrage. I think that the right wing, because it seems like it's mostly right wing outrage in this instance, um, right. they, they find the forgiveness to be a moral effrontery. That seems to be much more limited in scope than the moral outrage against the banks. It seems like uh, people across the political spectrum were calling for the bankers to be taken outside and guillotined. Whereas in this situation, there seems to be, there, I would say the outrage is more muted in that sense, wouldn't, wouldn't you? Just briefly before um yeah i guess i mean i i just i mean people in our circles were more universally outraged by i don't even know what that means anymore our circles but uh yeah. you know people uh who pay attention to things like they were mm -hmm. more outraged by the federal bailouts but i feel like mom and pop and plumber joe and just like your average person who doesn't really pay attention isn't really tapped in they seem more upset about this and don't have any idea that the bailouts in 2020 even happened. Maybe. Oh, 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 the bailouts of 2020. I thought you were talking about the bailouts of 2008. Oh no. The bailouts right. of 2020. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that was my fault. Um. So yes, yes. The reaction has certainly been much more pronounced. It seems like in 2020 things were happening so quickly and so chaotically that it was difficult for people to get a grasp. So it was difficult for people to feel confident enough in what they were thinking to be able to express a definitive emotion like outrage. So yes, I would agree that the uh, student loan forgiveness program uh, has inspired a more vis visceral response. Now, now, the thing is, people talk about the person who paid off college, paid their way through college and feels a sense of resentment about the student loan forgiveness. I am a person who paid his way through college with scholarships and by working full time as a pizza delivery driver. And so I graduated from college without taking out any student loans. I paid for it up front myself. And I don't feel the slightest bit of resentment in this situation. What I, rather than people trying to act as my sort of like, I don't know, trying to like speak outrage on my behalf, what I would rather people do is think about the horrible student loan system overall, because this student loan system that we have in this country is indefensible. It's a predatory system that seeks for its applicants 
teenagers who do not have the experiential intelligence required to understand what it means to take out loans of that size. There's a reason why an 18-year-old in this country can never qualify for a mortgage because they are presumed to lack the maturity required to commit to that kind of financial investment. Yet somehow, these same 18-year-olds are able to sign up for student loans that in many cases exceed the, the cost of a mortgage. And yep. also, unlike a mortgage, these loans are not equity debt. They cannot be sold off later in order to try to cut losses. Um, so the whole student loan system is, a, is it, it, it's a form of predatory lending. And, and I don't say that as an activist. I'm not trying to be indignant. I'm trying to give the clearest description I can of what I think is a criminal enterprise. So with that being said, what Joe Biden is doing, regardless of how you feel about it morally, it does not acknowledge, it does not actually solve the problem. What would right. need to be solved is for the debt to be taken care of and then the student, the college industry abolished, not necessarily by law, but you would see these universities shrink in size. Employers would stop requiring their uh, employees to go to universities and universities would go back to being an ultra elitist institution where you go to learn classical languages and perhaps become a doctor. It's not something that someone working for the, the, the local city government office should have to go to four years of school in order to get that stupid clerk job. It's not necessary. Yeah. So just the last thing I want to say, I'm not trying to on a huge rant here. Is no, you're good. The, the, the problem is that we obviously, no one is willing to actually try to confront the massive malignant industry that has grown around this university system. Because not just the stuff I'm talking about, but also think about like college sports. College sports are a multi-billion dollar industry. And if you were to re reduce the need for these universities, a lot of those school sports programs would be gone. Uh, media companies cannot broadcast the games anymore. Like, like the, the, the problem is so much more complicated than student loans. And, and, and people think that the president is going to be able to solve these problems. I mean, I mean student loans, this is a time for people to get real about student loans, not freak out over $300 billion getting spent to bail some people out. Yeah, no, you're 100% right about all of this. And especially the multifaceted, you know, problem of there being too high of a demand for college. The, the demand for college is ridiculous. Um, uh, you know, the people that are requiring it, the people who are encouraged to go, I'm, I want to talk about that first. The people who are encouraged to go like that demand is already artificially high compared to what jobs actually require of you. There are plenty of jobs you can get today without having any college experience, but you're not told that as a high school student, you're told if you don't want to work a minimum wage and you want to have vacation and you want to be happy, you will go to college. I never went to college. I made over a hundred grand when I was 23, I think, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, it, it is possible. And on top of that, um, you have a predatory system, as you've described, where the college gets their bill paid immediately, regardless of how high they raise the bill. The government instantly pays the college and then the student gets stuck with the bill Sometimes it's over a hundred thousand dollars. Like you said, it could be more than a house sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, we have this completely backward incentive. We need, we need to create a society where, like you said, I mean, college is for elitists. I mean, that, that might sound bad to a lot of people, but that's the way it should be. I mean, and also, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of public education, but if we're going to have public education in the way we do, that needs to be severely overhauled too. Instead of, 
teaching kids like we taught them in the 1800s to work in a factory. You know, high school should be a lot more like college is today. High school should be trying to point you in a direction to pursue whatever career or skills you're going to be good at. There's no reason to teach someone like a factory worker from 150 years ago when we live in 2022. Right. And just a quick little bit of history for some of the younger libertarians who might be watching your program. There were a few libertarians who really tried to have this conversation actually 10 years ago during the Penn State sex abuse scandal. It sounds like a bit of a jump, but actually a lot of them were saying that the scandal that the school allegedly tried to conceal, they were trying to conceal it because they wanted to maintain their prestigious image so they could continue to receive endowments and uh, get lots of fun raising and all this other stuff. So with the student loan crisis, there's an opportunity to have that discussion. But instead, the the argue, the whole debate has been hijacked by uh, mainstream politicians who have no solutions. Um, yeah. I just want to say this one thing is people who act like Republican victories are guaranteed this November and in 2024. Don't count on it with some of the Republican rhetoric regarding the student loan program. Yeah. Um, even Peter Schiff at one point said that he would be on board with student loan forgiveness as long as we abolished the student loan program afterward, exactly. which you know, that, that is what we should be doing at this point. Like, um, and you're right, like Republicans are just trying to stop the bailout instead of trying to fix the system, which is what they always do. They're always attacking the symptom instead of the actual problem. Um, the other drive for you know people going to college that I think is overlooked is the military, you know, the military is the only off ramp that will pay for your college instead. Yeah. And these ridiculously high student loans that you have to pay off, they force a lot of people to consider, you know, going overseas and getting their leg blown off in order to not have to pay for their history degree or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, that I mean, so it's, yeah. it's all a giant scheme to take advantage of teenagers who haven't lived a life very long, haven't ever tried a job or anything like that. They're right out of high school. They're yeah. propagandized by government schools. And then they're either sent into the military to pay off their loans or they're pushed into a debt fueled economy where they become minions of the military industrial complex through our debt fueled economy. So, I mean, it's just like a lose lose situation. Right. And the uh, pretty much. I, th I think that people, when they, they talk about college as if it were a sort of natural good, like you hear a lot of these progressives talk about how we need free college. I don't know that college really does a whole lot of good in the first place. Um, I went to school to get an English degree, which I really did not need because pretty much none of the books you see on the shelves behind me, I read in college. I, I read very, very few of them as a result of a professor's instruction. Um, I, I found that actually English, <coughs> English majors by and large were some of the most poorly read people I had ever met. Um, and, and, and so I, I see college definitely as an aristocratic institution. It's something for elitists where they should send their children who aren't really hack, cut out to hack it at a job. Um, but, but, but trying to get the whole industry abolished, obviously you would have the entire political system in America opposed to you at that point. Yeah. Um, I don't really know how we're going to make this transition either. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be subtle. I think we're going to have a crash 
Uh, I think we're already in the crash, but I think it's when we hit the bottom, you're just going to have tons of people with absolutely useless degrees, no skills and no mm -hmm. higher ability. And then the people who do have skills and can get hired are going to have jobs and they're the only ones who are going to sort of carry things through. And a lot of the people who are considered a little bit more elite now just because they have college degrees and uh, you might they might have one of these useless jobs. I feel like the the demand when the demand for college comes down, the demand for these stupid jobs is also going to drop through the floor and you're going to have a lot of unemployed, educated idiots. Yeah, I, I completely agree. The I, I think that it, it would be good if you could try to popularize on your show the, the expression student loans are predatory lending. That was my term that I came up with. It would be it would make me very happy if I could see people saying that in Moss to try to get the student loan system <laughs> abolished. Um, yeah, it was it was the student loan system was an unbelievably stupid idea, especially the fact that the loans are dispensed on interest. Um, I, I don't know how they could possibly justify that. And this is why usury is illegal in many countries. Um, many bank, many nations use a, a banking system completely different from ours that would probably lessen the risk of catastrophe. Um, but the catastrophe you're talking about, um, yeah, as the economy continues to sour, naturally this bubble, because that's, that's the way I see it. I see it. The student loan system is a bubble that is inevitably going to burst. Um, when it bursts, I don't know. It, it will be a point where people begin to say, it, it will be when large groups of people say to themselves, we're not going to send our children to these colleges anymore. They're going to say, we are going to direct our children away from that and try to get them towards a career where they don't have to go to a four-year university. Um, that's a, a noble effort that I'm sure many parents are undertaking right at this time. So it will be a gradual demise. But yes, I do believe eventually the student loan system will fall apart. Yeah. So speaking of Republicans trying to lose the election in November, uh, I saw a clip of Lindsey Graham talking about and stating on trying to pass a nationwide abortion ban. Um, <laughs> I don't really understand the strategic move behind that unless Lindsey Graham is really trying to hand everything to the Democrats in November. But what are your thoughts? I think that the Republicans are doing everything in their power to try to lose the next two elections. Um, because like, take the student loan thing, for example, obviously Biden's attempt to pay off 300 billion of it with taxpayer money is not going to solve the problem. But for people who are out there struggling to pay off these loans, they just want some kind of relief. And so naturally, they're going to vote for the politicians who claim that they're going to do something to try to ease their financial hardship. Um, we can get into all the moral incentives and the moral clauses and all this other stuff. That doesn't really matter to people who are struggling to pay their mortgage, okay? Um, it, it, it's similar to the appeal that Andrew Yang had. Just the fact that a guy would be saying, I'll give everyone $1,000 a month, naturally you're going to attract non-political people who are just just have an incentive based on what he's offering. Um, so yeah, the, the Republican Party is failing to separate itself from the Democratic Party because it has not offered anything in the way of effective solutions to these problems. All they can do is point at Biden and complain. Right. I mean, it, it's it's like 2012. Obama, it was not clear that Obama actually had a real plan to get us out of the mess that we were in. But the Republicans certainly didn't seem to have any useful solutions either. All they wanted was more corporate bailouts. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to be a continual race 
to the bottom. Yes. I mean, <laughs> the the Democrats were sort of handed a silver platter in 2020. It was the easiest election for them to win ever. And all they had to do was not suck as much as the Republicans did. Now the Republicans have the exact same opportunity. All you have to do is mm -hmm. not suck as much as the Democrats did. But they never seem to take it up. They always seem to just be like, all right, we'll take you up on that and see if we can outdo them and even be worse and still somehow win. Um, and this was this is why I like never really uh, I know you didn't either. And we caught some flack for it, for it. But we just never like gave the Republicans the you know, we never um, we never gave them the condolences or the the pity that they wanted for losing the election in 2020. And they, we never gave them the comfort of agreeing with them that it was stolen either, because it was like, guys, <laughs> I mean, this is the, the argument that, you know, 81 million people couldn't have voted for Joe Biden. They're just not that stupid. First of all, that argument is just not good enough for me. Like, and right. I know people, People are fucking stupid. And you guys really fucking sucked when you could have been a lot better. So it's just they're really upset that we didn't throw them the bone on that one. But mm -hmm. I don't think they really deserved it. No, I don't think they did either, um, because every time they talk about believing in the integrity of an election or believing in freedom of speech or the public's right to information or anything like that, I, I mean, it, it's just the insincerity of their rhetoric is almost nauseating. Um, and it, so uh, the fact that they didn't get sympathy, this was something that actually pushed me out of a lot of circles within the political underground, was you encounter so many people who wanted the claims of the stolen election to be true just because they wanted to justify their indignation towards the Democratic Party. And we can sit here all day long talking about the iniquities of the Democratic Party. And I'm going to document them all in the book that I'm writing about the election of 2020. But at the end of the day, their iniquities and their stupidities during the Trump presidency <coughs> do not mean that they were not able to convince 81 million gullible people to vote for Joe Biden. I, I mean, the idea that people were willing to check off the box that was not Donald Trump, that is, I just, I, I think that people under, people like to overestimate the percentage of the population that is actually red-pilled. They like to think that just because you have a, now apparently if you voted for Donald Trump, that makes you a political scientist. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that the standards for red-pilling have been lowered quite a bit. And so I don't adopt the, I don't adopt the contrarian attitude that goes into the election conspiracy theories. If it turns out someday the election was stolen, I won't be surprised. It's just that I, the, the political system in this country is completely Ill illegitimate for from the get-go, uh, the the particular results of the election are not of a special concern to me. Yeah, and also, I mean, even if you were someone who cared about elections, uh, I feel that the actual problem is being avoided. So, you know, the FBI has admitted that they told social media companies and the news to not cover the Hunter Biden laptop story. And right. that was not Russian disinformation. That was true. And uh, like, you know, the media was demonizing Trump for the, f the first four years of his presidency as some Russian spy who the election had been thrown to by Russia. And then there was you've talked about this, too, like the Democrats were spending all their time in 2020 uh, pushing people to register to vote and making it easier to vote and all that. So, 
The Republicans want to ignore all of their shortcomings, running a horrible campaign, uh, you know, instead of being able to be the outsider to Hillary Clinton, you were already the establishment. And then you have Joe Biden come along and you don't really have a good angle. And then, you know, the Democrats do all this shady shit that in a lot of ways did rig the election against Trump. But instead mm -hmm. of focusing on any of those problems, you want to focus on stolen election, Harvard, you know, ballots printed out of thin air in the middle of the night. And I think that they're just like <laughs> they're actually doing themselves a disservice. If they actually focused on some of the other stuff, maybe they'd get somewhere. Yeah, the I talked a lot about the recruitment efforts by professional sports leagues to encourage people to vote. Um, the NBA in particular, the NBA basically endorsed Joe Biden um, and all of the teams. A lot of those sports teams actually turned their arenas or their stadiums into voter uh, voting facilities or voter registration facilities. And every time I tried to bring that up, people in the political underground would scoff and say, well, I don't watch sports. I don't care. Well, you don't watch sports and you don't care, but there are millions upon millions upon millions of people in this country who do. Over 100 million people watch the Super Bowl every year, and those people also vote. And so just because it's not of interest to you, is it also a conspiracy theory that those industries generate billions of dollars annually? I mean, clearly those institutions, professional sports leagues, they reach people. There, there are people who pay attention to that stuff and care about what those athletes say. And, and, and so there's a whole lot of information and programming and propaganda out there that a lot of people in the political underground are simply ignorant of because their, their, their perspective is narrowed by their own echo chamber. That's really all I, I want to say about that. Yeah. Um, and I know you've talked about this in the past, the independent media. And I've got a few friends who have talked about this, the independent media, if they're not going to actually search for the truth and they're just going to, you know, they're, they're just going to succumb to another narrative, then they're just the mainstream media with fewer viewers and less money. So why even do it? Mm -hmm. Like, that's the thing I don't get. I mean, I guess it's easier to create an empire for yourself and a smaller group of people. But at the end of the day, if you're going to actually try to be independent, why not actually be independent instead of like joining this other mainstream media that just has a lot fewer people watching it? Well, I think the reason is there were a lot of these hacks. Um, I could mention them by name, but I'm really trying to be a bit softer as I try to make my comeback at overwritten. I'm, I'm, so I'm not going to name names, but there were certain people who I think thought that they were going to go work for RT America. There were a lot of people in the independent media who thought that they were going to move to DC and work at the RT studios and have their own TV show like Lee Camp. I think that a lot of them thought that they were going to do that. They, they could have the institutional power of RT combined with the pseudo independent feel of RT, you know, with its anti-Western propaganda narrative. And that was very appealing to them. So they tried to, uh, they, they basically they tried to adhere to the style of RT. And what is RT? It's a bunch of fear propaganda. It's a bunch of fear porn. It's agitation. It's designed to rile people up. Um, I, I saw an article in RT recently that a Russian actress who advocated for an end to this war in Ukraine, uh, she was threatened with a prison sentence in Russia, but apparently prosecutors declined to pursue to prosecute the case. And now uh, these readers of RT are all outraged that she wasn't put in prison like she deserved to for undermining the Russian military campaign. I mean, I mean, it is it, it is so 
it's so contrary to what the independent nature of the independent media is supposed to be about. But I think that's why they they stuck to that fear porn angle was they were heavily influenced by the hacks at RT. Um, Chris Hedges had a real pseudo intellectual flair to his doom and gloom doomsday rhetoric. And I think that it appealed to a lot of those people. Gotcha. So what is the comeback at overwritten? What, what's going on over there? What do you, what do you have coming up? We uh, we haven't had much going on over there in the last several weeks. Um, I have been reading as often as I am able, and I'm trying to prepare a series of videos that are more like lectures where we try to analyze the text. So uh, for a while, I was reading a book called The Lonely Crowd. It was a sociological book written in the year 1950. And I thought that that book had a lot of really useful information to say about American culture today. I think that a lot of the author's observations about trying to um, submit to the expectations expectations of a crowd. I think that that author's um, descriptions were really, they pertain very well to a day of social media. Um, So I have a series of videos talking about that. I'm also soon going to be uh, having a series of videos on the book Carrie, which I read for Halloween, uh, written by Stephen King. Um, So basically just getting into literary analysis, trying to get away from some of the political hot take style that appeals to, you know, the kinds of people who watch RT. Uh, Just trying to get into some books, which I find to be a more productive, less contentious subject. All right, guys, we'll go follow Dak. I've got his links listed in the description. He will always tell you what he thinks at all costs. So you yeah, you, all, you always know you'll get uh, his real opinion from him. So thanks for coming on, Dak. We'll do it again soon. Thank you. My opinion hasn't cost me much yet. <laughs>